0: Welcome back to Open Your Hands, Conversations on Craft and Vision in Poetry. I'm your host, Zach Zia. I am delighted to uh, bring to you a poem today by a living poet, Mark Jarman. Uh, The poem's called Questions for Ecclesiastes. Um, It's a long poem, I'll just tell you that up front, Um, and before I get into it, I also just want to note that it is a poem which touches on uh, suicide, Um, and so just you know, understanding everyone has different levels in terms of engaging with the literary work that touches on that theme. Just wanted to mention that up front. Um, so, I will read the poem in its entirety. It, you know, it'll take, take a couple minutes, I'm sure. I'm going to take my time with it. Um, and then just engage with that poem, um, thinking about these questions of, of form and vision, and also uh, some of the questions of, of faith that have come up in the last couple of episodes. And then I'm really interested in dialoguing. with you listeners on. So, without further ado, let's get into it. The poem is Questions for Ecclesiastes by Mark Jarman. What if, on a foggy night in a beach town, a night when the Pacific leans close like the face of a wet cliff, a preacher were called to the house of a suicide, a house of strangers, where a child had discharged a rifle through the roof of her mouth and the top of her skull. What if he went to the house where the parents, stunned into plaster statues, sat behind their coffee table? And what if he assured them that the sun would rise and go down, the wind blow south, then north, whirling constantly, Rivers, even the concrete flume of the great Los Angeles, run into the sea, and fourteen year old girls would manage to spirit themselves out of life. Nothing was new under the sun. What if he said, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing? Would he want to view the bedroom vandalized by self murder, or hear the quiet, before the tremendous shout of the gun. or the people inside the shout, shouting or screaming, crying and pounding to get into the room, kicking through the hollow core door and making a new sound and becoming a new silence, the silence he entered with his comfort. What if as comfort he said to the survivors i praise the dead which are dead already more than the living and better is he than both dead and living who is not yet alive what if he folded his hands together and ate his own flesh in prayer for he did pray with them He asked them, the mother and the father, if they wished to pray, to do so in any way they felt comfortable, and the father knelt at the coffee table, and the mother turned to squeeze her eyes into a corner of the couch, and they prayed by first listening to his prayer, then clawing at his measured cadences with tears, the man cried, and curses, the woman swore. What if, then, the preacher said, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God? For God is in heaven. What if the parents collected themselves then and asked him to follow them to their daughter's room and stood at the shattered door, the darkness of the room beyond, and the father reached in to put his hand on the light switch and asked if the comforter, the preacher they were meeting, for the first time in their lives would like to see the aftermath. And instead of recoiling and apologizing, he said, that the dead know not anything, for the memory of them is forgotten. And while standing in the hallway, he noticed the shag carpet underfoot, like the fur of a cartoon animal, the sort that requires combing with a plastic rake, leading into the bedroom, where it would have to be taken up, skinned off the concrete slab of the floor. And still he said, for love and hatred and envy are now perished, neither have the dead any more portion for ever in anything that is done under the sun. What if, as an act of mercy so acute it pierced the preacher's skull and traveled the length of his spine, the man did not make him regard the memory of his daughter as it must have filled her room, but guided the wise man, the comforter, to the front door with his wife, with her arms crossed before her in that gesture we used to show a stranger to the door, acting out a rite of closure, compelled to be social, as we try to extricate ourselves by breaking off the extensions of our bodies, as raccoons gnaw their legs from traps, turning aside our gaze, letting only the numb tissue of valedictory speech ease us apart. And the preacher said, live joyfully all the days of the life of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life. They all seem worse than heartless, don't they? These stark and irrelevant platitudes albeit stoical and final, oracular, stony and comfortless. But they were at the center of that night, even if they were unspoken. And what if one with only a casual connection to the tragedy remembers a man, younger than I am today, going out after dinner and returning, then sitting in the living room, drinking a cup of tea, slowly finding the strength to say he had visited these grieving strangers and spent some time with them. Still, that night exists, for people I do not know in ways I do not know, though I have tried to imagine them. I remember my father going out and my father coming back. The fog, like the underskin of a broken wave, made a low ceiling that the streetlights pierced, And illuminated. And God, who shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil, who could have shared what he knew with people who needed urgently to hear it, God kept a secret. So I was just reading Mark Jarman's poem questions for Ecclesiastes. Um, in my experience as a reader of poetry, um, I gravitate towards poems that, that stick with me that kind of get into my head or my heart or my gut in some way. And they just don't, don't seem to leave. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're just, you're kind of thinking about them when you're not reading them. They're still kind of around. Um, and some poems um that are like that they they really have a a spirit of cons- consolation they they really kind of make me feel good <laughs> um and some poems that that do that that i admire um are like this one and they, and they almost they 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 disturb my peace <laughs> but they feel vital and important to consider and wrestle with and this is one of those poems um especially because um I'm a person of of faith, um and the words of you know, the the sacred text of the scriptures really means a lot to me. This poem shakes me up. And I think it it probably shakes most readers up, I would imagine. Um so I wanna talk a little bit about its form and, and vision. Um, you know, form I think one of the things to say right off the, right off the bat about form, um, especially as it, as it concerns this poet, Mark Jarman, one of the things that Jarman is, is known for, um, as, as an American poet over the last, you know, almost half century, he's not that old, but yeah, almost half century, um, is Jarman has really brought narrative back into, uh, poetry in a big way. It's definitely been part of, uh, his vision as a poet. And so, one of the things I love about his poetry, and I would really recommend all of his, his work, um, is that he is unafraid to tell a story in a poem. Um, and this obviously tells a really powerful story um, that, you know, if you if you look not too far into Jarman's own biography, you can see it, it seems as if it's it's based in an event that, that would have happened in his life. Although, obviously, he wasn't, as I'm understanding the poem, and I'm getting into a little of my interpretation um he wasn't there it was his father who was, who was, you know, the minister making that visit. Um, so he imagined some of that, obviously he wasn't there, but it sounds like his father related this to his family. Um, so that's maybe the first thing to say about form is it's, it's, it's in the the form of a a story. Um, and I notice the power of the, the question. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things that that really brings me back to this poem is it, it offers an interplay between the, the you know, the sacred text of Ecclesiastes, which in this poem is totally inadequate um, to the moment and to this family. The, the, the words of the text, which as I read the poem more and more, I don't I don't get the impression that the speaker of this poem or Jarman in the poem is trying to to share that those were words that actually were spoken by, um, you know, his father, by the minister, Um, he even says there's a a moment late in the poem where, you know, in kind of the third to last stanza, he says, but they were at the center of that night, even if they were unspoken. So part of the uh, form of the poem is to kind of make spoken these um, platitudes that are part of the scriptures, Ecclesiastes, uh, and then to interrogate them with um, a real life situation and a real loss, um, and so that's that's what I see as kind of a form. In, in a sense, it's it's a question, an answer, um, and it's enacted, you know, by by an imagining of that event. Um, when I think about vision in this poem, I, I honestly don't know exactly what to say um, because the vision is is disturbing. Um, the closing lines are haunting me still to this day as I, as I think about this poem. And they're incredibly powerful. And God, who shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil, who could have shared what he knew with people who needed urgently to hear it, God kept a secret. So, you know, there are those moments, like I was sharing earlier in this this podcast, In Katrina Vandenberg's poem, suppose there are those moments where we can feel a powerful solidarity and connection um, with people, and it seems like something outside of ourselves that's kind of binding us to each other. But then, if we're honest with ourselves, there are also those moments of profound desolation and isolation, which this poem um, names powerfully. And for those of us who believe in God... If we're honest with ourselves too, I think we also experience moments where we also don't really feel connected to God, our creator. We don't feel that God is is in the midst of of what's happening to us. And this seems like a moment when the minister who is a stranger to this couple comes to be a comforter. It's very clear from what he relates to his son, the poet Mark Jarman, that that that's consolation is not what was taking place there. Um so that, that's that's really where I'm I'm kind of left at the end of this poem. Um and I think that's really all I want to say about it. It's it's a powerful poem, it's a disturbing poem. I think it's a poem to wrestle with. Um I feel like I'm just you know, in, in the process of that. It's not uh it's it's a poem that I, I intend on revisiting and Jarman's work, uh which I would highly recommend is is work that I, I love to revisit. Um so I think I'll I'll leave on that. Uh, tentative note and also invite as I have with some of my own work um, you to, to dialogue with this episode um, and please do check in on the work of Mark Jarman it's worth your time um, thanks so much for tuning in this week um, hope it's it's a good week ahead for you much peace to read and learn more about the work of Mark Jarman go to www.markjarmanpoetandcritic.com And thanks to my cousin, musician Dustin Copper Jensen, who has generously allowed me to use his song Speed of Understanding as introduction, interlude, and closing music to this episode. To find out more about Copper Tunes, go to soundcloud.com slash coppertunes.